What's going on, everybody? This is the Grindhouse Syndicate Horror Movie Podcast, and today we are going to cover 2007's Vacancy. Man, is it? It's 2007. 2007 or 2006? Man, we're doing a whole episode on this, and I don't even... It's 2007. (laughs) Pretty sure it's 2007. I hope both of us didn't get it wrong. Um, It's a uh, 2007 slasher film directed by Nimrod Antel and written by Mark L. Smith. Mark L. Smith. Sounds like a uh, witness protection name. That's the, f- the fakest name ever made. Yes. Um, maybe he used to be in the mob. Maybe he used to do snuff films and got caught by the FBI and he snitched on everybody and got a new name, testified, and wrote this fucking movie. I, I bet you. That, I bet you that's what that happened. Might be. That might be accurate. Damn. We can end the episode here. We've solved this mystery. But yeah, um, it stars uh, Kate Beckinsale, Luke Wilson, and Frank Whaley. It was uh, it was released in April 20th of 2007. It's 85 minutes long and has a budget of $19 million. Had a box office of $35.4 million. How many times do you think you've seen Vacancy? Um, Probably three times. Like in your whole life? I think three times. Wow. I feel like I've seen Vacancy. Oh, man. Probably like 10 times, 13 wow. times. Well, yeah, it used to be one of the movies that would just like kind of come on like back when we used to watch cable. Yeah. Um, that, it that, was like a movie that, that yeah, it was like a movie <laughs> that would be on like cable TV randomly. And, um, you know, you kind of like, channel surfing friday night or something you know it'd be on and it was always a movie i'd watch you know it's it's a solid it's just a solid it's a solid movie every time you know i i, I don't know maybe it's like a nostalgia thing too i guess i agree i mean i think it's a fantastic movie i just feel like i have definitely not seen it 13 times i've seen it many times many times i've probably seen parts of it Maybe five times, but sat down and watched the whole thing through. I don't know, three or four times. But, but yeah, uh, thirty-five point four million on a nineteen million dollar um, box office. I mean, that's not that's not spectacular. I mean, uh, I would take that. I mean, nineteen million dollars. That's that's uh, for a horror movie. That's you know pretty good budget, and you got some pretty big names attached to it. So I know that's probably where a lot of the budget went. That's almost double in your money, though. I mean, I feel like that's about the average movie. You know, there's there's a lot of movies that bomb that that take that average down. I, I feel like probably about doubling your money is, is pretty good. If I was a studio, I'd be happy with that. You know, I don't really know. I don't know how movie studios really look at, uh, you know, something like thirty five point four million. Like movie studios nowadays, like with these, like especially superhero movies, make you know hundred, two hundred million dollars off of uh, one movie. Uh, I know horror movies don't normally pull that that kind of money, but you know, thirty five point four million, especially back in you know two thousand seven, pretty pretty decent chunk of change. But I do believe this is like a movie that kind of picked up more of a cult following kind of after, you know, after its box office. Uh, I know it got played a lot on like, you know, TV and it kind of it kind of did 
fairly well with its uh you know dvd sales and stuff so i feel like that's really uh, its heyday was was not necessarily in the theaters was more um at home at home box office yeah i definitely agree with that i don't even remember it coming out in theaters but it is it's a very solid solid movie it's not streaming anywhere currently. We actually had to pull out the old uh, DVD. We got the DVD. I don't even know if they have a Blu-ray. They might have a Blu-ray right now. Um, I can tell you when I bought this, they didn't have a Blu-ray. I don't think. I've had this one for a long time. When I first started building the collection. Yeah, a lot of... But they probably do have it in Blu-ray at this point. Well, a lot of movies like this are kind of... You know, unless, you know, some company comes out with like a remastered Blu-ray version, a lot of these movies uh, are kind of out of print and you kind of have to find them at, um, you know, like a place that has like sells like used DVDs or you find it in uh, those packs that have like seven or eight movies attached to it. Um, I know it's definitely kind of grouped in with some of those. But um, I don't know. I haven't really looked into it. We, we're we still just kind of rolling with the old DVD copy, which worked pretty well for me. A movie like this, I really don't necessarily need it to be a Blu-ray. You know, I really, uh, it's I don't know. It's like a nostalgia thing. We're almost kind of needed to still look like not 4K. Like this is not a movie I need to see in 4K. Uh, it's mostly at night. It, the hotel is ugly as fuck. You know, yeah. why do I want to see that Previous in 4K? Um, the coolest part of the movie, which is the snuff films, VHS. are in VHS. Yeah. They're already shitty. So I don't necessarily see a reason for it. But hey, if you come across it at a good price, get it. We are big time on the physical, the physical media. You'll hear us bring that up many times. You know, go get you a physical copy. Because uh, if we, you know, wouldn't have had a physical copy, we would not have been able to cover this movie. Well, I guess we could have paid Amazon six bucks or four bucks to watch it for 24 hours. But um, I don't know. I'd just rather just, I mean, shit, the used copy is probably five bucks at this point. Yeah. Probably probably what we paid for it. But uh, yeah, let's get into the ratings. So Rotten Tomato, sitting at 55%. IMDb is a 6.2 out of 10. And Letterboxd was a 2.9 out of 5. Yeah, those are some low ratings. I think, yeah. it, I think they underballed uh, vacancy on that one. I think they're a little low. I mean, I'm not going to say they're... Uh, the Rotten the Rotten Tomatoes is always kind of yeah. drastically it's not, low. It's not like an artsy movie. The Rotten Tomatoes just never gives anything good good ratings i'm not gonna say the imdb is like drastically low or the letterbox you know the, what, what was the like imdb 6.2 6.2 yeah all right yeah it's not that's not it's not low. super I low low balling it a little bit but. yeah um I, it's a little low for me but you know i don't want to say it's super far off but yeah let's 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 you know you ready to get into the movie i am let's do it all right Well, uh, our main cast here is Luke Wilson, who plays David Fox, Kate Beckinsale, who is Amy Fox, and Frank Whaley, who is Mason, the motel manager. You got Ethan Embry and Scott G. Anderson as the two killers. They're in the actual cast listing. They have they don't actually have names. One's listed the mechanic and one is listed the killer. Uh, They keep it pretty simple there. I feel like those two might have been stuntmen. 
I could see that being the type of cast where they just hire stuntmen for that because there's they don't have to act very much. Most of theirs is stunts and stuff. Yeah. Um, other than the mechanic. He yeah. has he has a little part, but you know, kinda like the original Jason Borgeses were just stuntmen that yeah. they would hire. I feel like that's probably a good chance of that. Yeah, they'll look that up and see. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I didn't come across that in any of my research, but that is a really good point. I mean, it would make sense why you'd have stuntmen because these guys are doing a lot of running, crawling. Uh, I don't think actors do a ton of that. And get getting hit by cars. No, they're definitely not letting. No, they're yeah, not doing that. Not letting uh, the Luke Wilson to the world get hit by cars. Yeah, my, you know, I've seen that Ethan Embry. I've seen him in some other stuff. You know, I can't really name it off the top of my head right now, but uh, he looks familiar. But the uh, the Scott the Scott G. Anderson, he may be a stuntman. I don't know. But yeah, um, and early in the production, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker was actually supposed to be cast as Amy Fox in this movie. Um, but she ended up dropping out and uh, they ended up casting Kate Beckinsale instead. That's, That's probably a good thing. I think that would that, that would have been a much different feeling movie. Yeah, the Sarah Jessica Parker. I think the only thing I've ever seen her in was Hocus Pocus, and um, she's in Hocus Pocus too, right? Yeah, I think all the, all the original witches were in the second one. Yeah, I don't even remember the second one. <laughs> I yeah, I remember they made a second. I one. do. Yeah, I, I remember, remember we spent uh, like an hour and a half of our lives sitting down watching it, but I I can't remember any of what actually happens. Yeah, um, Hocus Pocus 3 actually just got greenlit, so guess there's going to be a third. I don't know. Hey. Yeah, I don't know who's going to be in it, though. I kind of wish they'd have just left that one alone. Yeah, you, you, that's one of those things. They're never going to top the original, but you know they're going to make, make money off the name. That's what studios do. But yeah, I'm glad she, I'm glad she dropped out. Um, I thought Kate, Kate Beckinsale did a fantastic job in this movie. Besides the manager, the Mason, the motel manager, you know, I, well, I don't know. Actually, I, I take that back. David Fox is a fantastic character. She, <laughs> she's, um, she's all right. You know, she's, she does a great job in her acting. Uh, not a huge fan of her character though, but she is a good addition to this movie. And I don't think that that was a, I don't think that was a bad situation for them. Uh, ending up with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker dropping out. Yeah, she did a fantastic job with uh, Amy and David's relationship, especially early on in the movie. Um, it's it's done really well. Oh, yeah, it's done really well, and we are really going to touch on that later, uh, especially about why it went really well. But um, let's jump into this movie. So, starting off, our opening shot is a car driving down the middle of nowhere road. It's obviously very late at night. We got our two lead characters, the husband and wife, David and Amy Fox. Amy is awoken by David swerving, trying to avoid hitting a raccoon in the road. And after a bit of dialogue, it is very obvious that these two do not want to be in the car with each other. Yeah, uh, the writers of this uh, clearly... The, the writers are married. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Um, I guess sometimes, you know, you guys are stuck together and uh, you just don't, you know, you just don't really want to be there. <laughs> yeah. This is one of the most realistic, like, husband and wife at each other's throats um, that, that I've seen in a movie. 
Yeah, they're very much just kind of almost just picking at each other, you know, passive aggressive. Oh, yeah. Snarky. It's it's so well done that I feel the tension and I'm not like, obviously, I'm not there, but it's almost like, you know, like when, like, you know, you get like people argue in front of you and you're just like, fuck, I wish I was not here. That, that awkward <laughs> shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's done very well because I I kind of get that awkward feeling of like, man, I wish, you know, I wish I wish she'd go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. I, wish I was somewhere else right now. Yeah. Man, fast forward through this. But yeah. So um, Amy asked David, you know why they aren't on the freeway and david says you know uh, blah 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 like a wreck or something and he decided to take the old shortcut man the shortcut has gotten a many husbands in trouble just a many people in horror movies in yeah, trouble horror, horror movies never take the shortcut if you suspect that you're in a horror movie don't take the shortcut don't fucking do it don't do it um, just take, matter of fact, don't even take the normal route. Take the longest route you can go all the way around. Just, just turn back. Just go back to where you came from. Just go home. Don't even, yeah. Don't even go to where you have, where you have set out to go. Just go back. Yeah. I think that's probably the best advice we could give. But yeah, right after this conversation, we get in, uh, we get our first hint that something has uh, happened to their young son. And this is obviously why their marriage has become so sour. Right after this, they start having some car trouble, but luckily for them, they happen to be driving up on a very old and very creepy looking service station. Yeah. Don't stop here either. If you're in a horror movie and you come up on a place like this, I don't care if you're breaking down. Just get out and push the fucking car. Don't stop here. Or sleep in the car. Wait for the sun to come up. And also, I mean, when you look at a gas station like that, it's like I would know that there's nobody working. Like, you know, that's a kind of gas station that if it is open, closes at five, six o'clock. Yeah, it looks like nobody's worked there since 1963. Probably uh, if it's two in the morning. Probably low chance of somebody actually being there working. Oh, yeah. But they broke down, so they had... They're desperate. You know, they just rolled in. So. They're desperate. So they come across this mechanic. Well, there's somebody there. That's, you know, I guess that's probably that's a bad... Flag. Yeah, it's a bad <laughs> sign. But they come across this mechanic, and he takes a look at their car, and uh, he does kind of a minor repair to it. Um, they kind of let he, him over there fiddle around with their car without them watching. Uh, I think just, he just diagnosed a bent fan blade. Bent is what fan, it was. The old, and, the old bent fan blade trick. Mechanic that tells you your car is not working because of your bent fan blade. You should probably take that as a red flag as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, he does this uh, minor repair on it. And he said, hey, you know, it'll get you to where you're going or at least get you to the next town. He helps them with directions and he offers them a sparkler. And uh, I would say I would be pretty upset if someone lit a sparkler halfway inside my car. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought that. Um, I was thinking in the Jeep. uh if somebody lit a sparkler, not only in my car, but then held it down the side of my car, I would, I would not be too happy about that. Yeah. And this is a, uh, it's a B, I think it's a BMW. You know how BMW owners are, you know, they got the leather, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's kind of a more classier car. And then you're going to turn around and basically light some sparks into the fucking car. 
but I guess they are grateful for his help and they just let it slide. Uh, they don't seem to be bothered at all by it. But when I seen that, I was like, you know, fuck no. David and Amy, they drive off and they kind of continue to talk shit to each other. But very soon after their car, after that, their car completely breaks down and they are now stranded on the side of the road. You see when like David gets out and he goes to kind of look, um, that is a huge fucking flashlight that he's got. Like, you know, good God, I haven't seen a flashlight that big, oh, I guess since 2000. 2006 2007 yeah, that thing runs on like 8d batteries oh yeah it's like, like it's weighs 15 pounds i didn't have like a like a ghostbusters backpack with it you should have kept that for a weapon oh yeah you're right that probably would have been a lot better than you know most of the stuff in that room you know you've you've got this giant flashlight you've got um you know no leds back then you've got no gps you know dealing with a paper map the atlas the old atlas now they they've got no phone signal like 2006 was like the fucking dark ages like compared to now like just thinking about just something as simple as a road trip and it's you know we have these kind of luxuries now like shit when you know when my fucking car breaks down i have a light on my phone that is like probably brighter, brighter than like two or three of his gigantic flashlights, and it has GPS, and it probably has signal. Makes, um, you, makes you think of how fucked we would be if something happened to your phone and you're in the middle of nowhere like that. Oh yeah, phones are lifelines uh, now. You know, GPS is. Uh, I feel like I don't pay attention to half the places I go because I just follow wherever the GPS tells me to go. Uh, and you would think in in. 2006 2007 they had map quests and they didn't even have the map quest directions no so. well you know you don't have map quest directions for the old shortcut no no nope. they you leave just... that off for a reason map quest knew what they were doing yeah map quest doesn't re- does not recommend the shortcut you know stick to the uh stick to the interstate go the long way wait in traffic it's just a fucking wreck but yeah, so they decide to um, they decide to walk back to the service station, and they find it closed when they arrive. They end up walking over to the motel across the street, and only to find a sole motel manager working the night shift. Creepy and, ass Ned Flanders. Yeah, creepy Ned Flanders. Man, he he is absolutely like the real life fucking version of Ned Flanders. What is what is it like? Um, diddly, high diddly, high diddly do, or high did what? I don't, I don't remember what it was. I'm not even gonna try. High diddly murder. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> oh, yeah. You notice, like when, films. when, when he's like, when this, when this, when he's like, you know, yelling and getting into it, like his hair, it's kind of stiff, and it like it kind of shimmies, mm-hmm. like his hair shimmies. Yeah. And he has that. Um, I don't know. It's almost like that. You know, guys would kind of comb their hair in a certain way. And then like, I don't know if it's like hairspray it down or something back from like the eighties to where it just didn't fucking move. Yeah. It's got, <laughs> it's got all that volume to it, but it that still doesn't move. It's got to be hairspray. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, in it, you know, he's got kind of thinned out hair too. So I guess he needs it to not move. Cause if it moves, it may move so much. You kind of could see into down to his scalp. <laughs> looking so, down the valley 
Yeah, looking down the valley. So he's got to get it like in this perfect kind of position and then like freeze it. So, you know, like it actually looks like he's got uh, he's got something going on up there. But yeah, I love his look. Um, when they designed his character, it's fantastic. I mean, everything about his case, he's, you know, favorite character from the movie. He really makes the movie. And um, yeah, this is kind of our first introduction to Mason. But I uh, just want to say that was absolutely not a fucking horror movie playing in the background. Yeah, this is like red flag number two or three. At um, least number two. We're at least on number two here. I that, mean, we got the mechanic. That counts for two flags in itself. I mean, we got the mechanic who's like just happens to be hanging out at the creepy gas station at like one o'clock in the morning. And then, oh, and, and he's super nice, you know. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, this guy who is listening to, I guess, what people would assume to be a horror movie. Um, but there's like no, there's no uh, music in the background. There's, um, there's no change in the sound. It's just like this constant woman like screaming. Uh, I would feel extremely uneasy after about 20 or 30 seconds being in there. Um, maybe it's cause I'm a horror fan and I, I know like, Hey, that's that, that's not how movies typically do that. But yeah, I don't know, yeah, man. I'd have been on edge right off the bat. Some really good acting. It, yeah. It could be just <laughs> good acting. Yeah. Maybe yeah, it's, that's could yeah. be an A24 movie. Yeah, could be. Could be could be uh could be a twenty four movie just doing something a little different. Yeah, after hearing that and then seeing creepy Ned Flanders, uh the manager who you don't ever want to leave with your kids. Uh, I don't want to leave my grandma with him. <laughs> probably walking back to the car after yeah, that. One. I yeah, I don't want to leave think, anything with that guy. <laughs> I think David actually kinda asked her, like, does she want to go back? And Amy clearly is like, No. But that's after that point when it's like, all right, we'll take a room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you know, he kind of they seem like they don't really want to stay there. They're just kind of asking questions about the uh, the service station. And, you know, Mason tells them, hey, you know, it's not going to be open until the morning. Why don't you go ahead and get you a room? So I guess this is still kind of connected to our red flag number two. I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess any motel person who's struggling for to get people in in there may may try to you know talk you into it but (laughs) i love the part where he gives him the dollar for the dimes and and mason checks to see if the dollar's fucking real (laughs) like there's just like a a ton of um fake one dollar bills just kind of floating around especially in the middle of like the middle of nowhere like like this place is uh, I guess he comes across that often. He gets nailed by these fake ones. And uh, then he's like checking the years on the nickels. It's like it just adds that extra like, God, this guy fucking sucks. Yeah. And I love like there's this little part where, you know, he's because you almost don't catch that. He's kind of checking to see if it's real. And then and then David's like, yeah, it's it's real. And uh, that's just like the like kind of little things sprinkled in there. But um, yeah, it just makes you realize, you know, Mason is one of those he's just one of those guys that kind of you can't stand him you know he's just makes your skin crawl and uh 
Yeah, he's just that guy. Man, he puts off that vibe so good, though. Yeah, the guy who played him did a, f- a fantastic job. Oh, excellent. Yeah, so anyway, you know, they get the room, and uh, they're not in this room for five fucking minutes when things start going on. Like, they don't give these people a a hardly a, a moment to really figure out what's going on or like even get comfortable but they're in there and then all of a sudden this banging on the wall starts banging on the doors starts happening and um well they think it's coming from the room next door and uh it must be some kind of prank so you know david decides he's going to uh he's gonna go talk to the manager about it and he's gonna you know see what he can do and he goes over there to talk to mason the manager and you know he informs him that you guys are the only guests we have he kind of chalks it up to, uh, what does he say, like uh, homeless people or kids, college kids, college kids breaking in, college uh, kids breaking the motels often. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Maybe, maybe in this fucking place. I don't know. I, I, I you wouldn't even think there was a college around this place. It's like yeah, the middle of the mountains. I mean, I could see if like you know David went over there, complained that someone was playing beer pong next door. <laughs> you I, know, I'd get that, but. I do love that he goes next door and bangs on the door and then goes to the manager when he doesn't get them to open. You know, he does everything that like he doesn't back down. He doesn't cower. He he steps up and does what most people who are watching the movie would be like that. Well, that's what I would do. You know, he does the right thing. I Well, I think he's. I think he's just kind of sick of everything. You know, he's got a lot going on. Yeah, he's dealing with his wife. He just came from his in-laws. He's stuck in, his car's broke down. He's stuck in this shady-ass motel. He's had to deal with, um, you know, this guy who was checking to see if his dollar bills are real. Um, And then he finally gets in his room, and he's not even there for a couple minutes, and now he's dealing with this. And I feel like he was, like, in ass-whooping mode at this point. Like, he's ready to fucking throw down. You know, Santa Claus could have opened that fucking door, and I think David would have had him had it out with him. Yeah, yeah, I love that part though. I love that he he doesn't back down. It's not like most horror movies where they get all scared and cower in the room. Like he's he's like, "Fuck this! I'm going next door. I'm beating somebody's ass." Yeah. Um. So you know, David returns to the room. He thinks the problem is solved, and uh, he's ready to relax. He tries watching some TV, but there's no uh, no channels. Yeah, just fuzz. Man, I remember them days back when there was actual like fuzz on the TV. I don't think I don't think that's I don't know. I don't know if TVs do that anymore. <laughs> the old trying to catch some HBO late at night. Oh yeah, but, that's a nipple. Ch- channel nineteen. I swear that's a nipple. <laughs> yeah, because I think TVs are like they went digital now. So I, I think that the 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 channels just like digitalize. They like kind of just fuck up. I think they just cut but out. They don't just they don't like fuzz anymore, but. But yeah, he you know he uh, he's getting nothing but fuzz every channel, and he decides he's going to uh, pop in some of these old VHS tapes, kind of unmarked, can't tell what they are, and he's just going to risk it. You know, I can say that I probably would not have put the tapes in if I was in that situation. Um, this is where me and David's path would be different. I think I would have just said fuck it at this point. That, doesn't he think they're porn tapes? It's like, I, he's got to pop in some porn. He's like, hoping they're porn. What, <laughs> what a way to make up with your wife after, you know, hours in the car at each other's throats. Watching porn. Let's get into a really seedy motel that somebody next door is clearly trying to fuck with us. And, well, it'll all be better. Just put this old 
VHS porn on. Yeah, put put the old porno in, and uh, I'm sure she'll um, she'll loosen right up. She'll chill out, and I, I think everything will work out pretty good. It, it is worth noting, this is kind of where, uh, when things start going bad here, like the banging on the door, that's where their attitude towards each other really starts changing in the movie. She starts being a lot nicer. Definitely... In the beginning of the movie, you can tell he's kind of trying to make it work and she's kind of doesn't want anything to do with it. And he's kind of sick of that. And they're back and forth and back and forth. And then shit starts hitting the fan. This is where she's their Their relationship really starts uh, changing. Her attitude towards him is going to have to adjust a little bit. Like they need to be in this together and not against each other. They They are going to have to come together like he can't possibly get out of this situation by himself and she can't get out of it by herself and i think that that like during this chunk of the film you really start to see this kind of flowing between the two of them where they realize that um you know they still do love each other and they stay they even though that stuff's going wrong this is kind of a life or death situation well it becomes one and they really got to work together and put things aside to get out of this. Yeah. Not, nothing like fear to bring two people oh, together. Yeah. yeah. Fear does a lot of things to a lot of people, <laughs> but um, yeah, so he puts these tapes in and essentially what we're watching is, um, you know, you got like three or four kind of just average looking people. And then you have two men, they're wearing these like dark blue jumpsuits and they both have on like these masks covering their faces and they are essentially just beating the shit out of these people. Um, I mean, I'm talking strangling, like throwing them across the room, you know, kicking hit, like just pretty much, you know, whatever you could possibly do with your arms and legs to hurt someone. They're in there going at it. And these these kind of regular people that are getting um, victimized, they, uh, you know, they're in absolute terror. You can't, you know, you can't really put a whole lot together besides that. You don't really know, you know, where this is happening, why this is happening, why they can't escape. And, um, you know, you know, David sees this and is like, man, this is fucked up. And he, so he takes it out and, he, you know, let's watch something else, puts, a, puts something else in. And it's kind of the same t- tape. But it's kind of a different group of people. That's another husband and wife. Yeah, so. yeah. You know, I think I think we go from like three or four people to just two people. And I think on this tape too, you actually see this is a, a scenario where the where these guys are actually first coming in, and the husband's trying to protect the wife. And um, so you 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 know these two tapes like this is such a short scene, but if you watch it. They're two completely different parts of these tapes where you, the first part is just full on assault. And the, the second tape is a short part where it's kind of the beginning of the actual physical assault. And, um, you know, that's what kind of comes in a little bit later. But as he's like watching this, he's he's starting to put things together and he's, you know, he's kind of looking at the TV, looking at the room, looking at, and it's almost like he's in disbelief for a moment. Like there's no way that what I'm watching is the same room as where I'm staying. And, um, you know, this is 
kind of a unique looking room because it's so fucking old <laughs> and so like um you know just left behind of time that you know like it's you know there's not like a, a million other ho- motel rooms that probably look exactly like this and you know he, he he gets up and he starts you know checking kind of the angles and he, he realizes that the angles from the videos that he's watching they are actually cameras in the room shooting those same angles um, you know, you got some in the vents and, you know, the vents at the top of the ceiling, the vents at the bottom of the ceiling. And this is at the point where he realizes that Mason is actually watching them. And what he is watching is a tape of an assault or multiple assaults that's happened in the very room that they are in. And, and this is where, you know, David, his his brain just kind of click clicks into Almost like the beginning of the survival mode. MVP David comes out. Uh, oh, yeah. He makes some fantastic, very smart decisions throughout oh, yeah. this movie. And it's one of the things that I love the most about this movie. Uh, most horror movies you're watching, you're like, why the fuck did they do that? Or that's stupid. Um, that's not Dave. D- David, he, um, he, he, he seems to make the decision. Like every time you think, well, why doesn't he do this? He does it. It's, it's it's makes the movie uh, much better to watch. Yeah, it's it's really refreshing to see. This is a horror movie, I think, really for adults because this is not um, as much as I love like kind of all horror movies. This is a movie where you get characters that are put in a more realistic situation, and you get characters like good characters that are more like real people and making real people decisions and um i just think that this is i don't know this is more of a kind of grown-up horror movie yeah Um, i can agree with that that's well put yeah i mean this is definitely for kind of you know more of those those times where you, you know, there's those movies where you want to sit down and you want to have like a great time with your friends. You kind of want to rag on the movie or laugh at the movie or have fun with the movie. This is a movie that, hey, you know, maybe you or you and someone else kind of want to kick back and you want to watch something really smart, but not so smart. You need to like Google the ending or something, you know, yeah, afterwards. Not that smart. Story is simple. Yeah. Simple story, but you want to watch something. The characters are smart. Where you're you're really rooting for the characters and you you can really put yourself in the character's shoes and say, Man, you know, I think I would make that decision. You really root you really root for David in this movie, I think. Well at least you know I did. I assume yeah, I know, most people are like that. I agree completely. Uh, most horror movies I'm very quick to uh find myself going for the the bad guys. Uh but David's decision making in this movie just makes him that much more likable. Yeah. This is an interesting part of the movie too, where the tapes are left and you as the viewer kind of realize that they're they're really trying to fuck with them. They're really trying to invoke fear. And then the point's not just to make a snuff film, but it's to absolutely torture these people mentally and physically yeah oh yeah i mean you definitely didn't leave three or four blank tapes in the only room that you rented out um by accident and then uh, you realize that everything that these guys are doing too because i mean they could if they wanted to just make a snuff film they could just probably go in there without 
even scaring them, just sneak in there when they oh, go ab- to bed absolutely. and yeah. kill them on camera. And, you know, they could probably successfully do that for, you know, years and years before anybody would ever figure it out. But yeah, it was um, a- intentional. Um, if you notice, the manager actually tries to get five dollars out of them to upgrade the room. And they're like, no. And he's like, oh, I'll just give it to you anyway. Oh, yeah. Because the- they were specifically putting them in this one room that they have set and they, they had these tapes set. Yeah. And I think it's also like its own purpose that that room's picked because it's on the corner. You know, they have, you know, that that kind of sets them up where they're almost in a kill box where the bad guys know that technically there's, you know, the front door. So one way in or out through the front door and then there's the like adjoining door for the other room. So there's two. And then as far as the guests know, those are the only two ways in or out of this room. The window in the back is pretty much too small and it's nailed shut and obviously the guests don't know about the trap door yeah so they're really you know they're limiting like every other room has at least three you know you got two adjoining doors and one front door and this room is probably the only room that only has two they really they, they you know this is this is an operation here this is 100 percent in operation everything that is gone into this is absolutely on purpose yeah but yeah so these tapes man they show these two men they're beating and murdering these previous guests and uh david and amy they try to run from the motel and they're you know that's their first instinct get you get to get the fuck out of there and they try to run from the uh the motel i'm gonna i'm probably going to call this thing a hotel or a motel or a hotel motel the motel is motel i'm no, gonna just not qualify as hotel i'm i know it's not a hotel it's just like it's just uh you know those two words are so similar and i feel like i never fucking say motel because i will not stay at a motel like absolutely not i will sleep in my car before i stay at a place yeah, like this stay with the bed bug <laughs> fuck no I, you know, I don't know. Maybe I won't stay at a motel because I watched this fucking movie when I was, you know, a teenager. Uh, it could absolutely have something to do with it. Yeah, I think that's what we were talking about, like, before. We should go and stay at the shittiest motel we could find, watch this movie, and then record this episode yeah. <laughs> at this fucking motel. You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe it would just add, like, add that flavor. I don't know. Definitely add add it for us. No, yeah, it would add it for us. And then we would record it, and then uh, we would fucking leave because I wouldn't sleep there. But, um, yeah, so they're confronted. You know, the, the two men in the mask, they're, they're out in the parking lot. You know, they, they know what's going on. They, they, they're already prepared, and I think they, I think probably everybody's first reaction is to kind of run out of the building. So they're already out there waiting on them. And, uh, you know, they end up having to run back in the hotel and lock the door. Now it's time to kind of figure out a plan. Like, there's a lot of panic, a lot of what's going on here. Yeah, this this is where they realize that they're being fucked with. Oh, yeah. Um, and actually, like, right before this, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Right before they take off out the room, the the lights start flickering in the room. And you can actually see one of the killers standing behind them in the room oh. already. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, gives you, uh, I have not seen this. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, it's one of my, it's like the strangers. Yeah. Strangers feel absolutely. Um, So he's, you, you see that the characters have no idea 
that they're in the room. And that's when you kind of figure out that there is another way into this room outside of those doors because he's literally standing right behind them and they have no idea. And that's when they take off out the door and they kind of get herded back in. So what he's in like, so you got like, you know, you got like the, the doorway to the bathroom. You're saying he's back there. Yeah. Is he in the bathroom? No. So there's the there's the corner and that there's that little thing. I don't I don't know what it's called. It's some kind of like metal design or yeah, something. You some see you see yeah. See corner. the guy is like swinging from it at one point. He's just having a ball, just murdering yeah. people. So he's standing directly behind that, maybe two foot behind them, and the lights flash. And one of the times that the light flashes, you actually see him standing right behind them with the knife. Um, it's it's oh, definitely. Man. My favorite scene of the movie. Oh, man. Uh, by, I, by far, just because it gives you that, like, on the edge of your seat. Um, I actually, I had to rewind it because I'm like, did, did I just fucking see what I what I think I've seen? Definitely uh, my, my favorite scene of the movie. Oh, man. So here I am at the beginning of the episode saying I've, I've seen this fucking movie, what, like, what I'd say, 10, 13 times or something? Yeah. Never seen that part. I've never seen that. So it's, it's, it's before they... They run. They both run out the door. Yep. Yep. That's right before. So um, they realize that they're being watched. That that it, all these murders are taking place in this room. And then right after that, the lights start flashing and shit. And that's when they take off to get the fuck out of there. So it's right when those lights are flashing. Right before that, and they take off out the room. No, oh, holy shit, man! I gotta go back and watch this. I gotta. I gotta see this. Yeah, man, that is great. That is phenomenal. So, yeah, so you as a viewer have now seen that they have access to this room without, you know, without really being obvious or really without, you know, the occupants knowing. No. Fuck, man. But big strangers feel. Oh, yeah. You, you know, the, the famous scene where he's in the back and you realize, holy shit, they, they, they're in the house already. Yeah. Um, it's it definitely, I think this came out before the strangers right um yeah i think strangers 2008 yeah maybe i think this came out a little bit before um but it definitely it it was it just gives you that feel that edge of your seat because you know that they have access but you also know that these characters you're watching that you're rooting for at this point um have fucking no idea that they have a entrance um that they don't know about yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, if it's not super obvious, I guess it's really set up for just like some audience members, like audience members with the eagle eye that catch it. Because, man, I've watched this movie many times. I have never seen this part. Man, that's cool, though. I love when they throw little things in there that some people see and some people don't see. Uh, those those are like phenomenal in movies. Those are fantastic. Uh, I wish... I wish, you know, because I think uh, like one of the big movies for that is, um, do you remember, what was it called? What is it? The Haunting at Hill House? Mm-hmm, the show. Okay, yeah. So after that had came out, um, there's all these like YouTube videos that you can go to and it shows where they like hid. If you, if you, you know, you can watch these videos and uh, they'll point out. So you can go back and watch the show like a second time because there's all these really tiny like ghosts and stuff that go on in the background of all those like flashback scenes where the family is like living in the house. And there's like fucking 50 of those, you know, they're just everywhere. And you could almost watch that 
you know, like five different times just back to back and see like different little things in the background all the time. And um, man, I've like, never heard that. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I have to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely check little, it out. What a East, hidden Easter egg type thing. Yeah, they hid like, you know, it'd be like a scene where you have like two characters to sit in there talking. And, you know, they, you know, like they had this, um, remember they had the part in Hill House where it was like, uh, you had the door and then the kind of open area with the big grand staircase. Mm-hmm. So there would be like scenes where like there'd be two characters that would be standing kind of in front of that staircase talking and it would be like, you know, a person walking like his legs or something on the staircase, like at the top of the shot, or they would be like a little boy, like hidden in the shadow at like the doorway by the staircase. Like, and you just, and he's just so still and just sitting there and they put, they put all that stuff in there and it's only in the scenes inside the house. That's, and it's only in the scenes. That's like where it's in the past. Yeah, because they wanted to make it to where, like, you kind of get to experience how haunted the fucking house is. And, you know, like, you know, there's so many ghosts at this place that um, you can't even see them all in the first viewing. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's really cool when they put stuff like that and they let you as the audience slightly pick up on it if you do see it. But the characters... And the and the movie or the show have yeah. no idea what's going on. Oh, it's, it's fucking best. Yeah, but yeah. So, um, oh, where are we at? Oh, uh, so they, you know, they run back in the house. They lock the door, and it's you know, David's ready to take some action. You know, he is just he's just getting he's just getting going. Like he is not going to kind of lay down and let these guys come into this fucking room. So he decides, hey, there's a payphone out there. And he has a pocket full of dimes, thanks to the uh, thanks to the manager. He you know hauls ass out there to this payphone, and he gets over to this payphone. And when he picks up the payphone, he he calls. And so when he calls on the payphone, is that that that's the that's the that's um, the manager. That's Mason, the manager. Yeah, that, you, that picks up the phone. It's not super noticeable at first. No, no, this no. is the point where he realizes that. Even the managers in on it, like yeah. So they got the phone, they got the payphone wired like directly to, I guess you know the his office, and uh, yeah. I mean, on shit, I wasn't even hundred percent sure it was the manager even after after the scene, but uh, I mean, it makes sense. Only like you know, three bad guys in the whole movie, but yeah. So um, pretty much once, like he he thinks he's talking to nine one one, and pretty much you know this guy, this nine one one operator, kind of lets on that he's not nine one one. He says it calls him by his name. Oh yeah, yeah, he calls him, yeah. He calls him by his name. Yeah, he hadn't had him give his, what, his name yet. And that's what uh, kind of makes you figure out that it's the manager. Yeah, because he's the only other one there that knows their name, and this is a point in the movie where David kind of realizes the only other person here is in on it. And then he's like, Oh fuck, we're, we're, we're on our own. Yeah. So, um, you know, as this kind of happens, they, they draw, I guess they, you know, they got, they went back and they got, you know, David and Amy's car and they ram it into the, into the fucking payphone. <laughs> I guess they don't need the payphone for the next couple that come, <laughs> or maybe they have a fuck ton of payphones 
booths just stashed behind the hotel. Maybe this happens every time. Yeah, pay phones for cheap in 2007. Cell phones for phasing the pay phones out. Yeah. Got on Craigslist. You could find them for 10 bucks a pop. Yeah. They just reset everything up every. Every snuff film. Yeah, I haven't seen a payphone in a long time. But but anyway, yeah, so David jumps out of the way right on time. They ram that car right through that payphone. And David ends up hauling ass back to the room. And uh, yeah, th- like we were saying, this is the point where David now knows this is some serious shit. And uh, he instantly starts looking for some kind of weapon. And I think that that knife out of the broken mirror thing was so fucking smart. You know, I feel like in like in a panic too, it's hard to really think of good ideas like that. Like, you know, I don't think I almost might have would have grabbed like a lamp or something stupid to grab that heavy ass flashlight. No, or that. Well, you know, it's in the car that they used to just try to kill him. So I don't know. Is it? I thought they. I thought they walked used it walking back from the car to the hotel. Oh, uh, maybe, maybe they did. I don't remember. That's when you when you seen it. But yeah, those D batteries in a sock. If I do some oh, damage. Oh, good God, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but this—that's like it, some prison, prison fucking weapons. <laughs> well, he, he had a, a mirror shank, so yes, uh, David's been to prison. Things <laughs> that that makes you like David that much more because it's like you know the the fight or flight, and they tried to take off and that got shut down. So he's arming up. He's and that's what you would do as a viewer watching this movie. You would be like, okay, well, I'm not just gonna stay there and get killed like the other people in the snuff films. Uh, let me get my hands on whatever I can. And you know, it just speaks to, to David's character. Yeah, he, man, he comes up with some good shit, though. And uh, yeah, so he, he goes in the bathroom. He breaks the mirror, which obviously no one else has done because I doubt they're replacing that mirror every time. Or, you know, I guess if people kept making knives out of the mirror, they'd probably put one of those like unbreakable mirrors in there. So it looks like this is kind of, you know, First time somebody's come up with such an idea, but he makes a big ass knife out of it. So it's not like a, like a small knife. Like he has like a, like a big blade and uh, pretty much makes a knife out of it. Once this happens, things kind of quiet down for a little while. And he kind of takes this opportunity to, he blocks up a lot of the cameras. I know he, he leaves one of the cameras because he turns out all the lights and he leaves one of the cameras that's kind of watching um, Amy and Amy's kind of sitting there and, uh, she falls, she asleep. falls asleep. She falls asleep somehow. somehow. She falls asleep for a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, and he uses this to his advantage. He knows that they had, there's one camera that's kind of still going and it's kind of watching her and He's got all the lights off and he uses his time to sit down and actually study these tapes. And he watches all these tapes all the way through and he's rewinding them. And he's typically looking for their strategy. Um, How do they get in the room? Uh, Is there always two of them? Like just really fucking smart ideas. This is the idea that really changes the game here for the outcome of this movie yeah this is what sets them apart yeah because and you see in the snuff films it's around this time where they normally come in and finish them off and this is what kind of made the difference uh, oh yeah me and david uh it's another one of those things david does where it's like i me in that situation i don't even know if i would have been thinking 
clear enough to actually sit down, use the cameras to my advantage, and actually study the tapes on where they come from. Yeah, fun fact, David is former Special Forces. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so I had to include this because we're sitting here, we're talking about David, we're talking about these decisions that are made in this movie, and then I came across this and I had to put this in here because I was... I was kind of speechless when I read this. I'm going to get your thoughts on it. A well-known film reviewer named Richard Roper said that the film was uninspired, unoriginal, and a chills-free thriller, and that he was disappointed in the main character, saying, apparently the two had never seen a scary movie before because they kept making rookie mistakes. I read that, and I thought, Richard Roper, did you even watch the fucking movie? Yeah, clearly he didn't fucking watch. <laughs> like, the movie. did we watch the same goddamn movie? Like, did you put in like another vacancy from like another country? He watched, and it that, was like different. That knockoff vacancy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm just you know like what? That's that's literally the opposite. Like, that's that's what makes this movie great is that they do these things that most people in horror movies don't think about and they actually fight back. The, the, yeah, that guy's a fucking... Who is that? His name is Richard Roper. All right. And from what I understand, I looked up a little bit about him and, you know... for and he's a fucking idiot. Yeah, he is, he is an idiot. Richard Roper, if you are for some reason listening to this, you know that we do not hold your opinion in very high regard. Yeah, please, please get a different job. Yes. Um, so... You know, basically, this is the deal with this guy is they had the the, the show where it was like um, Siskel and Ebert, they, you know, famous film reviewers. They had a TV show uh, on TV for a long time where they sat and, you know, reviewed movies, pretty much like our parents version of Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, Siskel passed away and it was just Ebert and they needed Ebert to have a co-host. So they obviously went to a mental institution and signed (laughs) this man out and put a suit on him and gave him a piece of paper and a clipboard and a pen and they put him next to Ebert and they had him watch movies and he drooled all over the paper and didn't (laughs) write anything down. Clearly didn't watch the movie. And I don't think he knows what a movie is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. Um, This guy's fucking terrible. But that is the background on this fella. It's probably just a movie critic snob who came across this and just wrote like a typical review without even watching the movie. Because there's no way he actually watched the movie to write that review. Like, even if you don't like this movie, that's okay. You don't have to like it. But good God, at least fucking watch it if you're going to criticize it. Yeah, I almost want to name this episode Rookie Mistakes. (laughs) But yeah, um, so... David and Amy, they hear a truck pull into the parking lot and, uh, you know, they get up, they look out the window and they start giving, he's a truck driver, you know, he's parked his truck in the, in the parking lot and they start getting the driver's attention. But then they soon realize that the driver is actually working with Mason and he is in on the whole thing. He looks to be, um, my guess is like, he distributes the movies or you know at least like transports them i guess my Um, my thought was he was just buying them but that that makes a lot more sense actually it was like a box of movies 
Hey, man, he really likes his he, fucking snuff Maybe now. he does. You can only get off so many times to the same thing. Imagine his surprise when, like, cell phones came out with the internet and he'd have to, like, go to CD motels and purchase VHS. Did he have, like, a shitty big, like a, like a, a small but big TV and a fucking VCR in that truck? Exactly. <laughs> Clearly he did. Yeah. Um, he had yeah. to make sure the product was good oh, before he put it out on the street. God damn. You know? Got to test the product. Yeah. He... Uh, this is such just like a roller coaster moment in the movie because it's so up and down. Like you see this guy, you're like, okay, there's another person. He's going to save them. They're going to be to get help. And then... You see the killer start creeping up behind the truck driver, and you're like, oh, no, the trunk, truck driver's going to get killed. And then all that's let down when you find out the truck driver is essentially in on it. And he even gives this this like snarky kind of half smile at them when he realizes that they're, they're part of a snuff film. Yeah, when I first seen this movie... I, I, I thought, you know, it was kind of the classic, oh, guy shows up, he's going to help, they're almost saved, guy gets, you know, stabbed in the back or his throat cut or something, and their main characters realize that they're even deeper shit than what they thought. And this, you know, this does a really good job of kind of pulling that, pulling that rug out from underneath me. Uh, I remember at one point in time, I hadn't seen this movie in like, oh, fuck, like five years at one point. And, you know, I put it in or I caught it again and I'd kind of forgotten about this because it's such a small scene and I've kind of forgotten about it. And that whole reaction happened to me again. And also, you know, I was excited. Like, yes, you know, it's always because I mean, that's what's great about horror movies is you you get these feelings. Yeah, it got it got me when I just watched it. It did. I'd forgotten about the truck driver completely. Yeah, definitely got me. I forgot that they were actually, the truck driver was uh, working with them. Son of a bitch. Or at least buying from them. Yeah. yeah. What a bastard. I, I, you know, I wonder if the police ever caught up with him. Let's uh, save yeah, it for the sequel. Missing truck stop prostitutes. They might want to look at this guy. Yeah, he could be the, uh, what did they call him, like the interstate killer or something? Could be, could be him. Uh, so, yeah, so... After that, uh, so David then discovers that that there is a a trap door in the bathroom, and he discovers this because you know he's he's watching the tapes, and he realizes he sees kind of how these uh, men kind of sneak into the room. They kind of almost uh, just come up behind the people in the room, you know, because they're so focused on the front door in the side door that uh, it kind of allows for these guys to come in through the bathroom and kind of surprise them and get them from behind, which is a pretty, pretty slick idea. But he sees this in the tape and he kind of goes to the bathroom and he kind of starts snooping around and then he kind of steps on the floor and he realizes it sounds hollow, pulls the rug up. And what do you know? You got a goddamn homemade tunnel. It must really, really want to kill people and put it on film. Yeah. Yeah. They must, I mean, it makes you think they must have been making a good bit of money off of this yeah. uh, to put this much into this project. Yeah, that's not a professional built tunnel at all. Absolutely not. It does the job. It, do, it does the job, apparently. You know, why do you think they have the tunnel that goes to the uh, gas station, though? What's the point of that? 
I get uh, the one from the maybe, office to the, the room. Maybe the killers come from the gas station. Maybe they just want access no matter where they're at, what yeah, happens. Maybe. They know they can get in there from uh, wherever they're at. I don't think that ever really is kind of addressed or anything, but I mean, it's, you know, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm sure that there's yeah, many reasons why that would make sense, but, but yeah, so and I discovered that there's a kind of a kind of some some homemade built tunnels underneath here, and they got them a trap door, and this is how they are. Um, this is how they're kind of kind of popping up into the room, and uh, they decide they got to go through this trap door. I mean, this is kind of their best. This is their best option. Can't go out the front door. Can't go through the side door. The window's nailed shut, and you have. The uh, kind of added surprise that, you know, the, the killers and Mason do not know you have discovered this trap door. So yeah. now you have a little bit of an advantage and compared they, to, you know, five minutes before you had no advantage. <laughs> yeah, they also just seen all three of them with the truck driver. Oh, yeah. So I think he initially discovers the tunnel when he's looking for the Like he steps and hears it and discovers it while he's looking for the tape. But he kind of hides that he knows it's there. And he uses that moment as a moment to to get the fuck out of there. So, yeah, so they go to this trap door and they're crawling through the tunnels and they're pretty much, you know, heading down to the other end. And uh, could you go through the rats? Uh, yeah, them rats? absolutely. I'd f- I wouldn't fuck fucking give a fuck about those rats. Fucking, My life is on the line. I'd punch them fucking rats. I'd roll through them rats. I'd do whatever I had to do. I'd body surf those fucking rats yeah. all the way, all the way to the end of that tunnel. I would talk the rats into helping me. You would recruit the rats. I would recruit them. Yeah. I'd That's, recruit them. Weaponize rats. And I would have them chew through Mason's stiff hair yeah. into his brain. It's fucking creepy ass fucking face. And I would record it and then I would sell it to the truck driver and then I would put a bomb. In the box of tapes that I gave him that would go off 10 minutes after he'd left. And then I would take the rats and build them a home. And they That's could live there. That's a nice touch to the end. Build, I, them, build them a home. If for, I would have directed this out. movie, it'd be so different. <laughs> But yeah, um, you know, Amy this, ha- Amy has a bit of a bit of a problem getting this is the rats. Poor <laughs> movie trope, though. This is the one that's like, uh, don't don't take don't take the shortcut. And of course, anytime there's a tunnel in a horror movie or a tight spot where you got to be quiet, there's going to be fucking rats. Oh yeah, or three hundred. Yeah. Well, you know, like I'm surprised like David didn't just like pick up a rat and bite like a chunk out of him because like he's just. He's on it right he's now. He's gonna. He's surprised he didn't whittle a shank out of its spine. Yeah, and he is. He yeah. He's on it. It's an M- MVP, David. Oh yeah. It's my my favorite character of this movie, just based off of how smart he was. In well, playing this. you know, Amy is dragging him down right now, but he's flying so high that she's not dragging him down like enough for him to be like underwater. Like he's still. He's still. He's going. He's he's getting it. But yeah, so he gets her through the rats and uh, they get they, you know, pop out the other side. And pretty much where the other side of the tunnel is, is uh, Mason's manager office. And as they come out there, they kind of discover like, I guess you could describe it as like the headquarters of this This murder organization. HQ right here, which is 
very depressing looking. <laughs> he has HQ. But, I, you know, I was thinking, like, you know, he has this whole wall of VCRs and old monitors and, like, these fucking, you know, things to control the sound. And I was like, you know, that was 2006, 2007 time. You could replace that whole entire wall with, like, you know, a soundboard, a hard drive, and a fucking laptop. And and maybe if you needed multiple screens, just get some, like, flat monitors. That's it. You can condense that so much. Like, man, things have changed this is, this so is much. This is a pretty good control room for 2006, though. And I oh, think this, this is high-dollar shit. <laughs> I think this is where the characters really realize how big of an operation this is. Um, you know, this stuff isn't cheap. Is uh, this similar to the scene in the movie hostel when he kind of gets away from like the chair, like he gets out of the room and he discovered like, there's like guards in the building and there's like people paying and it's like a club. It's like, it's similar to that where you discover like, this isn't one killer trying to kill me. This isn't one guy that I got to defeat. This is a fucking organization. This is organized group of people that are making money uh, off of this. And man, that's got to be crushing. That's yeah. got. That's got to be crushing. Yeah. But like I said, that's what, when they realize, you know, oh shit, this we are we are in a bad spot, as if we weren't already. Yeah. But yeah. So so Amy gets a hold of the phone. She manages to call nine one one, and it's actually nine one one this time. At least it sounds like it. Well, she get the you know they get interrupted by um. Mason, it's Mason and the two, yeah, Mason and the two killers come in at the same time. They don't realize that they're kind of in in this office um, at the time, so they kind of go back into the tunnel and escape out of there real quick. But she leaves the phone still like off the hook, and it's still kind of connected to um, to the to nine one one. And Mason discovers this and is furious uh so this is the point where the bad guys discover that they're using the tunnel you know that that surprise element is now over and uh we're kind of back to even playing field here mason kind of takes the phone cord out you know so nobody could call out anymore and he actually sends the the guys um down into the tunnel just pretty much tells them go after him i if i were those fellas I wouldn't put my fucking mask to crawl through that tunnel. I wouldn't put it on. No, not after this point. No, I mean, so, you know, I'm down there. It's dark. It's dirty. You you don't even have enough room to even, like, a quarter of the way stand up. I'm not putting enough, and I'm, I'm frustrated. I gotta remember, kind of pissed. Well, I think this what, is this is where the sense of panic really kicks in on them. I don't think anybody's ever gotten this far. Oh no! And you can tell they do a really good job in the movie. The Ned Flanders uh, hotel manager, uh, you can tell that the the panic is oh, set shit. On, when he realizes that nine one one got called. This they're in a bad spot. Yeah, you, they they not only gotta do something with these people, but it's gotta be done quick. Yeah, you, did you see at this moment? How much his stiff hair is is shimmying. Very, very, very this is shimmy this is the Mason meter. This is how you know how worked up Mason is. Is how big his eyes get, and how much that stiff hair shimmies. That's okay. how you know. Pretty good measurement. That's how you know. 
Yeah, he was he's fucking pissed. He is he is he's pissed. Um, but yeah, you know, there's you know, the guys like they they pull their mask back down before they jump in the tunnel. Fuck the mask, man. Go in the tunnel. Get what you gotta get done. Like you don't have a camera down there. It's not like you're gonna be on camera while you're while you're getting them. Like, fuck the mask. But anyway, you know, one starts at one end that goes in the tunnel. He kind of yells to his the other killer, you know. Hey, they're in the tunnel. So they kind of go in either end of the tunnel and it looks like they're going to kind of, Oh man, microphone. It looks like they're going to go and kind of sandwich them. Um, but what they, what they don't realize is that David and Amy decide to actually take, I guess it's, there's only one, I don't know. They don't really explain this, but there is a, at least one separate tunnel that kind of leads off from this main tunnel. And they decide, fuck going back to the murder room they're going to go and see where this other tunnel leads. And, you know, they kind of, they kind of hang in a right and they head down this other tunnel and they pop out in the, uh, inside the service station kind of pop right out there. Like, right. It was like right behind, right in front of the, uh, the cash register. Yeah. I, don't, I think it takes them, doesn't it take them a few minutes to kind of figure out that's the direction they go in. Right. Yeah. Um, so they, they block, Lock up the hole. Yeah, they this is where the, uh, I think a little bit of time passes. It's where things slow down because it actually shows uh, Amy and David. They start talking. It's kind of an important scene. It's where they kind of realize they still love each other. You find out that Charlie was their son who died. And oh, yeah, they, yeah. They both just had different ways of coping with his death, and they kind of reunite in this moment. So though it's very quick in the movie, it seems like time slows down a little bit. But they're actually watching outside of the service station. They can see them outside looking for them. And this is the first time that David and Amy know that they're not actively being watched at the moment. Yeah, I think they just kind of sit out there for a little bit until the the cop shows up. So they're kind of, you know, they're kind of just sitting in the service station across the street. They're kind of watching pretty much all this stuff going on through this, you know, main window. And then all of a sudden the sheriff's car pulls up and it, uh, this car is responding to Amy's phone call from earlier and Amy and David debate whether or not the shirt, the sheriff is working with, uh, with Mason like the truck driver was, which is a really good point. Um, Smart. Yeah, I mean, they were really trusting with the truck driver. And with the cops showing up, too, like, it's it's almost like, man, is this too good to be true? And honestly, in a situation like this, with, you know, once you've discovered so much about the situation and how many people's in on it, and this is a this is an organization yeah, I would think maybe some of the local police could be getting getting paid off and be in on it, especially, you know, even if it's just one. So I could definitely see this being a really hard debate, whether you want to kind of give your your spot up. The problem is, you know, there's only the motel and the service station. That spot's not going to be safe for the ever. Yeah, I think they have a hard decision to make because it's, do we want to trust the cop and give up our spot? Cause they they still haven't found them yet. It's still it's, they're still hiding in there. Um, or do we want to stay in the service station where they're eventually going to find you? So they're kind of forced to eventually run out to the cop um, when they see his reaction. 
Yeah, I got to imagine that it's really difficult to, even though you're kind of like, yeah, you know, it's, if that is a, if that cop is like really being a real cop, we really do need to go out there because, um, this could save us. So only hope, but trying to give up this tiny little bit of safety that you have gotten after dealing with this for, you know, an hour, a couple of hours is, um, is probably a really big mental block that, you know, just watching a movie, we don't really come to realize. But when when they wrote the movie, it was really kind of cool that they got that deep into kind of what, you know, what what a, a real person's emotions would be in this kind of situation. Yeah, yeah, your reactions are to stay hidden, yeah. stay put, especially when you've been hunted for hours at this point. This is the first time you've actually been hidden but at the same time, you know, that's also in your head. That's, that's your, your lifeline. But yeah, so they're pretty much watching the officer and Mason kind of walk around the uh, the motel. You know, he's got a flashlight out. He's kind of looking around. And pretty much from their point of view, it's really hard to tell. It kind of looks like the cop is helping Mason look for them. Uh, which kind of adds to maybe David's point of view of this guy is in on it. But, you know, as a viewer, we kind of get the actual close-up shot of what's actually being said. And it's very obvious that the officer is responding from the call and uh, does not know anything about Mason or this shitty motel. You know, it's 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 weird because we're looking at the same scene, but we're looking at it from two different points of view. And uh, I, I, that's pretty interesting. But um, so, you know, the officer, he, he wants to... He wants to look into the room like he notices the phone booth is destroyed and he wants to kind of check out the rooms. Mason claims that there are no guests there that night. It's pretty much just him. And the officer says, hey, well, you know, let me let me look in the rooms and there's nobody here. Mason pulls the old wrong keys. Like, let me go get the keys kind of, you know, that's like the old shortcut kind of trick. Oh, I'm going to go get the blah, 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 blah. And uh, so as he walks off, the officer tries the door to um, not the room that pretty much not the kill room, but the room attached to the kill rooms, the room next door. And he kind of goes in there and he realizes like, man, it's kind of trashed in here. And I think he ends up like running walk through like the adjoining door into the door that like the kill room. Uh, I think that's so. how it works or something. Uh, it's hard to way, tell because it's dark in there. A, a f- a fucked up ass room. Yeah, he's, he, he, kinda, he sees like you see it in his face. He kind of realizes like, okay, something somebody called nine one one from here, and then you're walking in to find that scene. Uh, something's something's not right. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think what trips him like what kind of what makes him kind of suspect things is he goes in the first room. The first room is kind of fucked up, and then you know the door is kind of open to go in the second room. He goes in the second room and that room's fucked up. And it's kind of like, man, what kind of motel was this? Especially if no one's here, why is everything like so fucked up? (laughs) But he notices the TV is on and, uh, one of the snuff films that David was watching is playing. And the officer's kind of looking at the, the television and it doesn't take him very long to realize that, what he's watching on TV is real and it is happening in that room that he is standing in. And uh, at this point he draws his gun and he runs outside for his car. 
Now, this is one of my complaints with this movie. It's a very small one, but I don't think that that cop looking at the TV for like two seconds would figure things out that quickly. Um, I don't know. Like, it's possible. You gotta remember, they've trashed the hotel looking for David and Amy. So the first room he goes into is super fucked up. Nobody's apparently there. They know somebody called 911. And then to walk in and see that playing, there's a lot of red flags. You'd probably be pretty suspicious. About as suspicious as you could be at that point. And then to see that, even if he didn't notice for sure it was the same room. I would have had a re. All right, I'm all right. We're we're getting the fuck out of here. Yeah, I just feel like you know because the room that there's no lights on, and I feel like he he picks up on that. Like maybe if he would have watched it for like twenty seconds, but it's literally like a three second scene. I mean, it's not a big gripe, but you know, if I had to pick something, you know, like I not, think he picked he picked up on that pretty quick. So it, that's not my gripe. My gripe is the fact that as soon as he picks up on it, why would you not call for backup? Like, oh, that's yeah, the biggest yeah, that's, thing. That's, why that's the a, fuck didn't you call too. for backup? But yeah, so you know, he pulls his gun, he's running to his car, and this is the point where Amy pretty much tells David, like, I'm fucking going. Like, you can stay here, but he is scared. He's obviously he's got his gun drawn. He's running to his car like Mason nor the killers are, are accompanying him. So, you know, I, I, I'm making my move. And uh, so, you know, they haul ass out there and they run and they're screaming for help. And, uh, you know, the cops kind of like it's kind of sketchy on them at first. But I think he realizes that it's kind of the manager who's oh i forgot my keys and there's no one else here i think he realizes that these two are not a threat these are probably the ones who called the police and you know the threat is the guy that you talked to when you first got here so he says hey you know get in the car they all three hop in the car and the car does not start dun -dun -dun. so the car doesn't start the radio in the car is cut so he cannot call for backup. And I guess I guess in uh, this town, they don't have money for radios that the cops wear on like their belt. They just got the car radio. That's I, it. I thought I thought you could literally see it on him, though. I, I can't remember. You know, I, I I don't know. You would you would definitely think that he would have more than, you know, just a car radio. But, you know, whatever. But he. You know, he tells him to wait in the car. He jumps out of the car and he, <laughs> I don't know why he does this because I doubt this is anything that he can fix very quickly, but he opens the hood to see what's wrong with the car. Bent fan blade. Bent fan blade, you know, fucking rookie, rookie moves here. Uh, he sees that the battery cable has been cut. Definitely the car is not going anywhere. And pretty much as soon as he realizes this, he gets a knife to the back from one of the killers. And then at this point, once this happens, kind of, you know, all the killers come out. Mason comes out. This is kind of like kind of like an attack, you know, they're kind of set up. And once they take out the cop, pretty much got, you know, David and Amy back in their back in their palms here. Yeah, they're they literally end up right back in the room, back at square one. And now they know that nobody's coming for them. It's, it's kill or be killed. That once the cops been killed, that's kind of the last straw. Uh, nobody else is coming to save you. Yeah, I mean, you 
that's got to suck, man. Like, you know, you finally got to win. I mean, you got to win with the tunnel, but then, you know, that only lasted so long. And then, and then you got this cop and then you're like, oh my God, we're in a cop car. We got a cop. He's got a gun. We're going to get out of here. And then this happens. It, you know, fuck. <laughs> but I, you know, I really love how Mason's kind of just standing off to the side, like talking shit while they kill the cop. Like he's just so arrogant about it. I believe he says like, you, you know, you might as well have stuck the back in his knife yourself you know he just a knife in your back yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he's just like you know just standing there kind of just talking his shit hateable character oh he's so fucking great great. though i would i wish i could see him in other movies (laughs) i think it's in the second one yeah well yeah 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 we'll have we'll you know we'll kind of go over a little bit of of, uh it's a pre prequel yeah yeah we'll talk about that one a little bit later towards the end but at least what we can remember about it but uh, yeah, you know, I I love his shit talking in this movie, and that's another great example of it. But yeah, so David and Amy they run and they hide in another room while pretty much the killers are kind of hiding the cop and the cop car and all this stuff. I guess just in case another cop shows up, <laughs> David pulls another what is it rookie move, rookie mistake here, and uh, he makes it look like Amy escaped out of the back window. You know, rips off a little piece of her shirt, breaks the glass, kind of hangs it on the glass, makes it look she escaped. And he hides her up in the ceiling and he pretty much tells her, like, you hide here. I'm going to go to the office and get that fucking gun. So there's a gun. There's like a, a pistol that is displayed behind the, the, sort front of the desk. desk. Yeah, the yeah, front, the front desk, desk, service desk. You know, he's 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 tired of playing games, man. He's going for that pistol. He's had it. And uh, he says, hey, you wait here. And I'm going to go for this gun and I'm going to take care of these guys and end this shit for all. And uh, so he gets her up there and she's hiding. She's kind of like looking down from like a crack or something in the ceiling. And soon as David opens the door, he gets a fucking knife to the gut. Yeah, that sucked, man. I hated that. Uh, But I will say, man, David is a fucking genius. Like. This idea of putting her up in the ceiling and faking her escape, like, if I'm ever in a snuff film, <laughs> I hope that David is there on my side. Yeah. this dude, I mean, he's yeah, fucking full of great ideas. Or, yeah, or yeah. rookie moves, as they call them. As, yeah, as some smug-ass uh, critic likes to call them. Yeah, um... Man, it comes as such a surprise because you're almost like riding on this high with him. Like he's he's getting it done. This is it, you know. He's been through all this and he's tried all these different things, but he's got a good plan now. Like, I mean, maybe not going out the front door. That's probably not a good plan, but the rest of the plan is pretty solid. Like he's going for that gun and it sounds like he's just going to walk out in the parking lot and gun him down. You know, he's just kind of had it. And I... I expected him to probably not make it to the gun. Did not expect him to make it one step towards the gun. You know, like as soon as you open the door, boom, they're there waiting. I wasn't expecting that. That's a really cool kind of uh, take take the wind out of your sails moment, I thought. Yeah, I agree. I like when movies aren't afraid to kill a, kill a main character or, or something surprising like that happen. Yep. So now, now we're left. We're left with Amy, and see if Amy can um, really put it together like David has. Yeah, it's time to step up, Amy. Yeah, you gotta step up. You've been getting dragged along this whole time. Yep. You're not. You're not on the benches no more now. 
You know, coming up to the big leagues, can't ride David's coattails anymore. So Mason stands over David with a camera, and he's, you know, pretty much filming his face as he dies. And he's, you know, talking his shit. And Amy's watching this from the ceiling. Um, surprisingly, she's not up there making a ton of noise. Good thing there ain't no rats up there. <laughs> yeah, thank God. You know, it's really surprising that they did not check to see if David actually died. <laughs> uh, they pretty much film his death. And then afterwards, you know, they slam the camera shut. Like, he's dead. They start looking for her. No one bothers to check and see. Well, is David dead? They're probably in such a panic to try to find her and get out of there in case more police show up. Yeah. Um, they're probably like, we just need to kill her. She's the other witness. She's seen us and get the fuck out of here. They, That's the only thing I can think of is find her as quick as possible and everybody's split before the police show up. They've been off their game since that tunnel, since the tunnel thing, for yeah. sure. And I don't think the, anybody's ever gotten that far on them. That's yeah, and, right. then, and then the cop thing, you know, the cop, the cop thing is really, uh, even though they handled that pretty smooth, but the cop thing is definitely kind of throwing them off a little bit. But you would think somebody would check to see if David had actually died. But hey, he's bleeding. He's not moving. He's not talking. His eyes are closed. Dead enough for us, huh? So Amy hides up there until the morning. And then, you know, we we finally come to a scene where she uh, wakes up. Man, she falls asleep twice in this movie. Three times, if you include the beginning where she's sleeping in the car. She's narcoleptic. I guess she's narcoleptic. He, he even makes the comment in the beginning when they're she's arguing like medicine. about so them driving he's like well i drove you slept for 300 miles with your mix of like valium and prozac yeah yeah them. some kind of medication or something the whole the whole trip how do you yeah how do you sleep like at least twice during a life and death situation I'm you, the guy who wrote this had an actual <laughs> wife like he had a real life wife oh I'm man you. oh man that's uh do i just things. noticed that like i just realized that she, like i just came to the conclusion that she slept twice within maybe like a six hour time frame of a like people trying to murder her and then murdering her husband and she went to sleep but yeah so you know we get the scene of uh you know the sun is shining the birds are chirping and she's kind of waking up again you know she decides it's time to get out of there so she gets down and she spots their car kind of, uh, you know, down at the uh, the end of the parking lot. And she decides, hey, we're going to book it over to that car. And she's going to jump in it. And she's going to get the fuck out of here. And she hauls ass over to the car. She gets in there. She, As she's starting it, one of the masked men jump. Like you could see him kind of come from the back of the car. And he dives on top. Like literally on top of this car from the back. And I love this part. He just punches through the fucking sunroof, you know, like it, like it's nothing like, you know, what, what's, what's some thick glass, you know, what is some glass that's actually structurally part of the roof of the car? Couldn't possibly be that thick. He's a mechanic. He just, he just like, you know, he knows where to punch the, he the just glass. Puts his, puts a hand the, right through there. Yeah. Maybe he had some, uh, what are they called? A fucking metal if you, knuckles. If, yeah, brass knuckles. brass knuckles. Even a ring, though. Uh, so if, if you hit glass at one particular uh, spot, you can break it pretty easy. 
Uh, there's those videos of people like breaking into cars downtown. Mm. They'll take like a little metal ring or a little piece of metal and just barely pop it. Yeah, he like know. he's he a like, mechanic. Man. He like Thor punches through that <laughs> fucking glass. But so he punches through the sunroof and comes down kind of right on top of her. He, like you know, half his body's in the car, half of it's still hanging out. And she's driving. She this this causes her to lose control of the car, and she's kind of losing control. And as this is happening, the um the other killer is kind of standing in front of the hotel and just kind of watching what's happening and. All this is happening so fast. I don't think anybody really has time to react. She ends up crashing the car into the motel, but running him over at the same time. And the car kind of crashes like through the fucking wall. It goes through one wall and then slams into like the back wall, um, actually inside of the hotel, the motel and kind of pins one of the killers in between the wall and the car, the other killer dies, I guess, from, you know, he's in a sunroof and he gets in a fucking wreck. I don't know how that kills you, breaks your fucking back so bad it kills there's, you. There's like a thousand ways that could Oh, kill yeah, you. you're, ne- you're probably broken neck or something. But, you know. I, um, I love this part. Though. Oh, yeah, this part coming up is good stuff. So, you know, she gets out of the car and the one who squished in between the wall and the car, he is freaking out. He's pretty much freaking out. He's dying. This is when she realizes that this is the mechanic from the night before that helped her and David. The one that uh, fixed her car up, sent her on her way. And it kind of comes full circle that this whole thing has been in motion since even before they got to this motel. Yeah. They probably, he, you know, they were probably dressed up as the raccoon. Yeah. They so, were the fan blade. Yeah. They bent themselves yeah, in David's car. I, I, I do love this. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie. When they kind of look each other in the eyes as he's dying and she actually ends up killing him with the car that he trapped them there with to begin with. Full circle. fucked up. Yeah, so I thought that was great. Uh, her killing him with the car and then them, them kind of locking eyes as he's dying. He's like gargling blood out on the hood. Fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I love that part. That's good stuff. Um, I can't, you know, I'm not really 100% sure. I, th- I guess to some people, this is probably like, oh my God, uh, like it's... Um, you know, oh man, that's the mechanic from before, you know. But I think that we see his face before this reveal. Yeah, I think they do show his face. It's just not super obvious yeah, it's that not it's obvious. the mechanic. It's not obvious. I think it's just for like, I, I'm pretty sure that it's the scene where they discovered that they're in the tunnels and he's like, go after him. And remember I said he puts his mask on. I think that's this where we see him, where he doesn't have his mask on. I'm pretty sure that's where we, we as the viewers, actually get a re- like a like a small reveal. Yeah, you got to pay attention though to catch that. Yeah, yeah, put yeah. That together. I didn't uh, the first time I ever watched the movie. I don't think I caught that. Yeah, it's awesome. Now, obviously, the second time you watch it, you know he's in on it. But yes, man, that's, that's such a good part, and the fact that she watches him fucking die is great so there's this really cool there's this really cool um kind of shot 
these like two shots here in this movie at this point. So, you know, once she gets out of the car and he dies, uh, you, you know, Mason's the only one left and you see Mason, like there's all these connecting doors to these rooms because this is just big one long rectangle with a bunch of rooms separated into rooms and they're all connected and you see all these doors are all open. I guess from them just like going through this place, like looking, looking for them. And you see Mason kind of at one end of the building and he's like trying to get past all this broken shit, yelling, trying to get to her. And you get this long shot of like all the way down, like through, it's almost like a hallway, but it's just a bunch of fucked up rooms. And then you get the next shot, you get like this outside shot. Um, where it's, you know, kind of almost from like the service station of the motel and, you know, you got the, the phone booth is fucking busted everywhere. You got the cop cards fucked up on the side. You got the BMWs crashed into the fucking front of the building. This fucking motel is tore the fuck up at this point. Like just, just from this, this, you know, one group of people trying to kill this other group of people, this building's fucked up. Yeah, you can see how out of hand this got for the killer. Oh, yeah. This is definitely <laughs> love way that, more than they thought. That shot through the hotel. It's kind of like a hallway, but it's I going through the different rooms because it really shows you the extent of how much they've toured this place apart looking for them over that course of time. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it also shows you, too, like, um, you know, even though there's not like tons of action that happens in the movie, uh, when you look at it from like kind of like the end point there, you know, a lot of stuff went down. A lot of stuff happened, even though, you know, you have a small amount of characters, still a lot of shit went down here and it just shows the destruction of this building is a really cool, really cool shot to put in there. And I really like it. I always fucking love cool camera shots. Part of the reason that I, 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 I do this kind of stuff. It's it. I love that kind of stuff. The building being this fucked up kind of is like a snapshot of the story. I think that's, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Good way to put it. But yeah, so at this point, you know, Amy runs into the main office. She goes for the gun. She's going to David's original plan. You know, she's piggybacking off of David and she goes for the gun behind the desk. And as she's reaching for it, Mason comes up behind her with the phone cord, puts it around her neck and he starts beating the shit out of her, man. He is definitely, this is not his first time beating the shit out of a woman. No, he's yeah. pissed. He is upset. But I think he gets himself a little carried away. He gets, yeah, he gets too into it. And, um, you know, as he's beating her and he's choking her, he's got the camera. You know, he's talking shit to her. He's recording her. And uh, I guess he's going to make her death extra terrible and record it because of all the trouble that she's caused him. And uh, at, at, at one point he like he grabs her and he like throws her across the room. And I guess what he doesn't realize is he actually throws her on this gun and she lands on this gun and she immediately kind of rolls over and she points the gun at him and she goes to shoot him. But this is a gun where you actually have to like cock the hammer back. And then pull the trigger. Like it won't fire unless you cock the hammer back. And you know Mason sees this happen. And he thinks it's funny. Because he thinks 
she's not gonna know that you have to cock the hammer back like yeah yeah Yeah. he gets he gets too cocky and you know he goes to pull his gun out from his hip and she figures out the hammer really quickly and this is my favorite scene in the movie so she she fires him and the first shot hits him and he immediately breaks this giant fucking glass behind him and it's just it's one of those shots that you see you know you see all kinds of people get shot in movies but one thing that you rarely see is that realistic you know what where does the bullet go after it hits somebody because most bullets do not just stop in a body and um rarely do you get like a team that does a movie like this and actually puts like you know puts that the extra effort into something like that because they, you know, they could have easily got away with doing that scene and just having the squid pop, you know, and then the fake blood like go off on his shirt or whatever. And then, you know, that, that could have been it. And 99% of the people would have been fine with that, but they do this really cool extra realistic thing. And I don't know, it's stupid, but I really love it. Yeah. The, the effects team definitely, went that that extra mile there that that little detail well it's like because you've seen it so many ways in so many other movies where somebody gets shot and the bullet kind of just stays in their body or like nothing you don't really ever see what happens to the bullet after it kills the person and it's so surprising to see that glass break behind him i think it's almost like for some people for a lot of people probably are like why'd the glass break behind him you know, yes, you know what great. it reminded me of is the freeze shot in House of a Thousand Corpses where he shoots the cop through the head. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super, super long. The dad, no, the cop. It's the cop, yeah. And you, so it freezes up and you actually see in slow motion the bullet change direction slightly when it exits out of his head. Yeah. And There's I always really, too. really loved that because that, it was that extra bit of realism. You know, bullets do, when they hit things, change their uh, trajectory. And I always loved that scene, how it kind of changes. The exit wound kind of changes from the from the angle he was shot at. It's kind of what it reminded me of. Yeah, it's such a great, it's such a great thing. It's just such a realistic thing. And I'm so glad they put that in there. Um, it's such a little thing, but I think the little things are really important, especially in a movie like this. But yeah, she hits him. I think she shoots him three times and he's, you know, he's shocked, I guess. So he's, he's been bested. He is dying and he doesn't even get a lot of time to really, uh, I guess even completely realize what has happened because he dies pretty quickly. He falls down, and then you see two, uh, three really big exit wounds on his back. Another, yeah, another, another detail one. that the effects team put in there. Yeah. The exit wounds being much larger than the entrance. Yeah, it's so good, so good. But yeah, you know, now Mason's dead. That's it. That's all. They're all three dead. You know, she runs over to David, and she, I guess she like touches his head or something, and all of a sudden, David comes back back to life he has risen from the dead yeah he's been i guess i guess he clawed it up i guess he quit bleeding out yeah this is a part of the movie i hate i'm not even like super mad that david 
you know, doesn't die. I'm not like, oh, well, you know, David should have died. I just don't like how, I just don't like how they did it. I would have liked it better if, uh, you know, we thought he was dead and then they should like the ambulance getting there. And then all of a sudden the ambulance is like, oh, he's got a pulse. You know, I would, I would have settled with that. But the whole she touches his face and he comes back alive. I hate dramatic. that. Uh, I hate that. I, I will say nine times out of ten, I would have been pissed that David lived. Oh, I you know. know yeah, I hate, I know. You know, I oh, hate I, that. I've, I've heard of, I've the, heard of many rants on yeah, Scream Six. Scream Six. <laughs> yeah, way too many people would. It's absolutely fucking ridiculous. Uh, Fantastic yeah. movie. Not enough people die. But yeah, normally nine times out of ten, I would be I would be pissed. But I liked David so much because of the smart thinking and the decisions he makes that I was okay with him living. I do agree that uh, they should have did like a after scene of him being rolled away and the, the ambulance and him having a pulse or something. Not him just waking up now that everything's over, but uh, that's that's how movies do it. Yeah. Um, man, if I... When I rate this, when I go to rate this movie... This, uh, you know, there was a couple of things I had brought up that I wasn't like huge fans of, but I didn't knock the movie on any of that stuff. This is one thing that I actually do knock the movie uh, when it comes to my rating is because of this ending. I dislike this part so much. I don't knock the movie very much. It's a very tiny bit, but um, this is a negative part for me love 99% of the rest of the movie though. I really, I really do like it. Just not a fan of, I mean, it almost feels like they, you know, like she, the original ending was she killed Mason and that was the end of the movie. And then like some studio executive was like, no, you know, that doesn't go well with audiences. Go film the David being alive like that's what people want so they had to hurry up and film that's maybe they just threw that together i don't know i I don't knock it on you i don't i don't hate it that clearly in the same way that you do do i'm gonna break my dvd later i do uh i i could see that happening like the movie the end didn't screen well or something so they went and kind of added to him living i do like that she actually remembers the phone cord that uh, the manager had and she runs over there and this quick thinking and is able to use that to call 911. And it's kind of David's quick thinking saves her life throughout this whole movie. And at the end, it's her quick thinking that essentially saves his life. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the movie. I mean, it pretty much ends after, you know, David's resurrection. It looks like the marriage is saved. The lawyers will be sad. I guess the lesson here is a near-death experience is all you need if your marriage is in trouble. Yeah, um, fear, just remember fear that. bring you together. <laughs> yeah, we'll kind of jump into some kind of, some you know, facts, a little bit behind-the-scenes stuff. So unfortunately, Luke Wilson often showed up late to set and very hungover and unprepared to film his scenes, which uh, highly irritated Kate Beckinsale. <laughs> um, you can tell. Yeah, you can tell. <laughs> you can tell. It wasn't acting. No, apparently it wasn't acting. Didn't really 
like each other very much. That's such a bummer. Oh dude. man, it is. I hate that. Like, I absolutely I really hate like Luke Wilson. I like, I like, I like Luke Wilson. Yeah. I love the character of David, and then to find out behind the scenes that he was a complete fucking asshole during the filming of this movie. It's just, it's a bummer. Kind of wish I didn't hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's more, <laughs> you know, Wilson actually refused to do his, his standoff camera and read lines for, um, Kate Beckinsale scenes. And pretty much what that means for anybody that doesn't really know a lot about, uh, how things are shot is, uh, typically, where the camera is primarily focused on one actor, but but you only kind of see maybe the back or the side of another actor. The the side actor, the actor who's not really in the shot, will kind of s- still show up to set and will still read the lines to pretty much add add to realism and kind of help out the their fellow actor who is kind of the center of the shot and who does have the lines. Uh, it just kind of helps out for realism. It helps acting when you're actually talking to the person that um, you've been filming this whole entire movie with. And so what what occurred was Luke Wilson would not. He basically was like, yeah, I'm not if I'm not directly on camera. I'm not showing up. And he instead he would send his his stand in so anytime you see these scenes in this movie where it's kind of like um amy is like talking and she's kind of the the main part of that shot and you kind of see maybe like david's like arm or his leg or you know side of his head like there's one scene where they're kind of sitting on the bed in the motel and david goes to touch her leg and she pulls her leg back but you don't actually see Luke Wilson's face. That's because that is not Luke Wilson. That is what they call his stand-in, which is somebody that kind of looks like him. And this pissed her off. And so eventually she started refusing to do her standoff camera scenes uh, for, to, for him. And instead, she ended up sending a photo of herself with a note that said, read your lines to this. It will be better for the both of us. So it doesn't sound like that was like a really great partnership with this movie. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I hate to hear that. That sucks. You you like the character so much, it kind of bums you out when you hear behind the scenes that it was complete opposite sometimes. Yeah, the you know, it wasn't really her. That, testament to how good of actors they are, though. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame her, man. That that really sucks. Maybe that's something he's over over now. I mean. I don't know, man. This seems like young guy behavior to me, like something that you, man, I could see yeah, you doing that if you're like 20. Big head, or uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he was going through a rough time at that time. Yeah, you know, you know, you never know. You know, hopefully, other movies he's filmed, other people he's worked with, you know, he hopefully he doesn't have that reputation with everybody because I do really like seeing Luke Wilson in in other movies. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think he's in other, any other like horror or thriller movies though. I think he's mostly in comedies. Uh, yeah, yeah I don't know. No, nothing's come to my mind for some reason. The only thing I could think of right now is like old school. Anyway, the motel was actually specifically built for the film and they actually crashed that fucking car into that building. None of that is CG. They built, they, and I believe they built the motel on like, 
some old area, an old like film lot that I think they filmed like some uh, Wizard of Oz stuff on. Hmm. But, yeah, but it's they ended up building the motel there. Oh, they did a fantastic job building a oh, yeah. CD motel. Oh yeah, absolutely. Give, give them ten out of ten on that one. Well, it was um, it was like really inspired by Psycho. The Psycho Hotel, actually. Okay. Yeah, that I mean, sense. the whole entire story is really kind of an ode to, um, like, Alfred Hitchcock and the whole Psycho thing. And you can really you can really feel that vibe in, in this movie with, um, with the setting, for sure. I mean, that's very similar to kind of the Bates Motel, kind of, you know, just a long line of square rooms it's in the middle old, of nowhere. Old shitty motel vibe. But yeah, yeah, they built that thing just for that. The director actually, uh, he said that they the set design did such a good job of making it feel gross that um, he would go home every day and feel like he needed to wash the motel off of him because even though it was all new, like it just felt nasty. I thought it was really cool. Um, so the writer, Mark L. Smith, got the idea for the film while traveling down to New Mexico with his wife. And they would pass like all these rundown motels. And, you know, he would always wonder like how they stayed in business. And they were kind of bored. And uh, while they were, you know, on this road trip and they kept seeing them. And he kind of came up with the idea that like maybe they kind of kill are killing people that like you know pass by through there and stay and like that's how they're staying in business because he never would see cars or anybody staying there yeah kind of interesting interesting way to come up with an idea so very original idea oh yeah Uh, very simple but very original yeah Um, i love the snuff film thing too there's not many movies that touch on that the only other movie that comes to my mind is like eight millimeter I think that's the only, these are the only two like snuff film movies that I can really think of. Uh, another, another good movie too. So yeah, let's talk about the kills and, uh, and then I'll get into ratings. So technically this film has 14 kills. 14, 14, 14 kills. That is uh, the snuff film. Yeah, that's okay. yeah. Fourteen. Okay. If yeah, you include, threw me off there. Yeah. I was like, I didn't know I didn't fucking miss half the movie. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's fourteen kills if you include all the people from the snuff films. <laughs> but without the snuff films, it's four. Okay, got that, four. that's that's more like it. Yeah, you got a favorite kill? Um, outside of the snuff films that were done really really good, thought all of them were great. I'm gonna say the <clears throat> the mechanic, the mechanic getting Good. cut in half by the car, or just about cut in half by the car. Him gargling the blood out. It, there's that one shot of him just like gargling blood out, and it splashes down on the hood. And those two uh, look at each other, and she she realizes it. I, I, that's my favorite kill. Yeah, this this movie has like very little blood actually in it. Uh, I think that's one of the things it's always been praised for by the critics as it was, you know, a horror thriller movie that didn't really rely on blood and, you know, special effects. It really relied on um, the story, the characters, the acting, pretty much everything that like, say, you know, Freddie and Jason don't have. <laughs> it's like the, the ri- original Halloween though. That's what. Yeah. 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 
That was supposed Gotta, to be yeah. such a good movie. It was supposed to scare you in a way that it didn't need that blood and gore. And although I prefer to see Michael Myers with the blood and gore, it was still the original such a good movie. You don't need those things. Um, so it kind of felt like they were playing off of that. And uh, I thought they did a fantastic job. It's a testament to the the amazing acting that's in it to have such a, a good movie on on such little actors, such uh, few sets, and it's such a simple story. Yeah, um, we here at the Syndicate very much support blood and guts in movies, though. Absolutely. Do not ever get it confused. We it's the we, best we, part. we love it. Um, I mean, you know, for this kind of movie, they wouldn't be right, but um, we definitely lean more towards the bloodier, the better absolutely yeah that that's that's why i said outside of the snuff films yeah because the snuff films was by far the best killing of yeah. the movie yeah um interesting thing about the snuff films number one um all the snuff films were actually filmed on the first day of filming and then number two if you if you get the the dvd copy of the movie um one of the special features is actually all the snuff films in their entirety so uh, if you want to watch those, that's where you can find them. Definitely worth a watch. Yeah, they, they, they filmed them all the way through. I can't remember if I've seen them or not. Yeah. I want to say half. Yeah, I want to say a half. Uh, I want to, if I can remember right, like five minutes a piece yeah, or something. Yeah, they're not, they're not they're super, super long. Not super I long, think they're but, even shorter than that. Yeah, uh, but um, yeah, you know, definitely cool. Definitely check them out and if, you're, if you're into this movie. It's uh, it's cool to kind of see what what David was seeing. You want to talk about you did you which what your favorite kill? Oh, my favorite kills Mason. Okay, man, I love that I've fucking that coming. God damn, that, I love that, that fucking car that, that, though. I love that car, but yeah, that bullet that bullet does it for me. That bullet is uh, man, that way for one, it's Mason. You know, I like I like to see him get his in the end. And for two, you know, I love the realism of the, you know, the, of the gunshots, um, and the breaking the glass in the background. Yeah. That's my favorite one. I, I really like that car wreck though. Yeah. The it's car, the too. car was good. It was really good. It's definitely a close second, but if I had to, if I had to pick one, I, I would go with the Mason kill. So it's one of the scenes I look forward to, um, in the movie. You got anything else for you before we want to go on to ratings? No, let's no. do it. We'll wrap up on ratings. All right. You want to go first? You want me to go first? You go first. Um, I'm going to rate this a 3.5 out of 5. Yeah, this is a good movie. Um, It is kind of a, it's, I want to say it's almost a comfort movie for me. You know, like I'm not going to quite say it's a hundred percent a comfort movie for me, but it is a movie where if I don't feel like doing that thing where you kind of scour on Netflix for 45 minutes, trying to find something to watch. If I know I want to watch a horror movie, but I don't want to watch, you know, like a slasher blood and guts. I want to watch something kind of smart and mature, but I, I know is entertaining and kind of just a, I feel like people are going to, be pissed if I call it like a classic, but it's a classic, I think, for my age range. 
Because, I mean, this movie came out when I was, you know, uh, like 17, 18, maybe something like that. 17 or 18, maybe 18. I'm thinking this, like you're saying, great to watch if, say, you got somebody coming over or something. It's a movie that you can watch that you don't have to worry about if you're talking or you miss oh, a, yeah. a part that it's going to ruin the whole movie for you. You're going to miss something super important. It's just a good classic movie to, yeah. to sit down and, and watch. You know what else is great about this movie, too, is it's a kind of movie that say you get somebody that doesn't, you know, necessarily like really into horror movies, but you guys want to watch like a movie uh, it's kind of like a compromise kind of movie where it's got some famous faces in it. It's got, um, you know, some good actors and actresses in it that a lot of people know. It's been in a lot of stuff. You don't have to worry about the person like, I don't want to watch gore. I don't want to watch blood. And I don't, you know, this is kind of a like an all around just movie that people can just really watch. You don't have to be like, you don't have to be a hardcore horror fan to to really enjoy this movie. But yeah, I, I give it a, I give it a 3.5. I would rate it a little bit higher. I really wanted to go to 3.7, but I got to deduct a little bit. Cause I, I don't like that, you know, very, very end, but I am very consent content with that 3.5 rating. So, uh, I'm going to say 3.8 out of five. Man, going going with the three point eight. Three point eight, yeah. I thought the acting was absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, normally, I have the tendency to root for the bad guys, but uh, Luke Wilson plays David so good; it, it makes you want to see him win. Yeah, I I think that part's fantastic. And then the whole just the decisions that he makes. You know, he does everything right. He does everything like if you were in that situation, you would do the same things he did. And that's rare in a horror movie. You don't you don't see that very often. And also one thing that's not mentioned much is the pace, man. I love the pace of this movie. It gets right into it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Pacing's great. Yeah, that's one thing. Like it, it's not a slow burn. It jumps straight into it. If it's one of those movies we're here. With somebody, you know, you got somebody coming over, a significant other, it doesn't matter. If you want just a fun horror movie to sit down and watch that gets straight into it, that doesn't have a lot of character building in the beginning, kind of does that as the movie gets going right off the rip. I love that. So, small cast, uh, simple story, but but great acting overall. Uh, I get a 3.8. All right. Definitely a good watch. Well, a 3.5 and a 3.8 from us. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, check it out. If you have seen it, clean the dust off of it and watch it again. It's, you know, it's definitely a, a movie to kind of pull out every couple years and give it a rewatch. You know, it's it may surprise you. It's, it's, it's just that movie. Especially if you have plans to go stay at a CD motel oh, anytime yeah. soon. Uh, definitely. Uh, give this a watch first. Yeah, I want to watch this before my next road trip, which is probably a terrible idea, but I kind of do. Yeah, and I and we, you know, we'll watch out for uh, was it a raccoon? Yeah, even just driving out in the mountains. I would yeah. check long trip. I make sure that my fan blades are Not straight. Bent. Yeah, yeah, very make straight. Sure you, make sure you uh, get a level and straighten those fan blades yeah. out. 
But yeah, so that's going to be it for uh, for vacancy. What are we going to do next? You got an idea what movie we're going to do next? We're going to do. I don't know. What are we going to do? We're going to do. We're going to do the faculty next. Faculty. The faculty. That is a. That's another. That's another hard hitter from from our youth. I guess I, I guess that's how you say it. That's how the kids say it nowadays. Any any possible plans on a vacancy two one day? Oh yeah, yeah. Let's talk about vacancy two real quick before we get out of here. So yeah, we do want to cover vacancy two at some point. Vacancy two is not a sequel; it is a prequel, and I actually have it. Prequels are great because everybody dies. Well, not everybody, because all the good people die. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's yeah. everybody. Um, so yeah, uh, it is a prequel, and uh, Mason is of course in it, and it kind of shows how this kind of whole thing starts. I guess how this whole situation, you know, get gets gets it going. Kind of why he goes down the path that he goes down, and man, it was like a straight to DVD, but fuck it was good like what a fucking good what a good i can't believe more people don't talk about it or know about it i don't think many people do know about it but uh yeah because it doesn't have any like big name it doesn't have any big name people in it It doesn't have a luke wilson or kate beckinsale in it uh did not go to theaters i don't think the dvd's really hard to find and i've never seen it like tv or anything no no, I, I've never I seen a streaming. Looked. So you have the second one. I've looked for Vacancy 2. Um, I have a big horror movie collection. Obviously, you know that. I look everywhere I go. Um, I have a list of uh, movies that I need to get. That's one of them on the list. And in years and years and years of looking through all types of places, still haven't found it. So I assume the internet where you go when you can't find something the web i'm gonna have to get it from the internet the world wide web will have it yeah they have everything they have everything it might even snuff snuff films might be expensive sure if you look hard enough you can find those too yeah but yeah so um you know we definitely want to cover vacancy two down the road yeah i'd say we're definitely going to do it at some point it deserves to be talked about i believe and shit, I haven't seen it in probably fucking six years, five years. I don't even know. So many, so many years. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time, but uh definitely want to do it. But the next one is going to be the faculty, a uh a Robert Rodriguez film. So yeah, tune in for that one. Come check us out again. And uh that's gonna be it for us. You got anything else you want to add before we head out? Nope. All right, well, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll check you out. Later.